When I was a child, I stood in awe of my teachers. They seemed to be the most powerful people I knew. They were um, to be obeyed. Some of them were stricter than others, but um, well, to make a long story short, I was often afraid to offend the teacher. I was a very visible child because my vision was so bad that I always had a, a note for the teacher that said, Gaspar needs to sit in the front of the room. And so being in the front of the room and being in close proximity to the teacher was a bit intimidating for me. I don't know about you, but uh, sometimes it doesn't have to be a teacher. It can be a very famous person. It can be a, a dignitary. It can be a, royal, a member of the royal family. It can be a president. I remember back in April 20th, uh, April 21st of 1996, I unexpectedly found myself sitting in the back room of the banquet hall in the Rasia Hotel in Moscow with the President of the United States. Like I said, I, it was unexpected. I was nervous. I, uh, I didn't realize how tall he was. And, and uh, when we sat to talk, I, my mouth went dry, and uh, to the questions that he asked me, I uh, stuttered and stammered in the presence of this very powerful man. I wasn't sure what I was going to say and how to approach the conversation. And fortunately, very fortunately, he was gracious and made me feel a little bit more at ease as the minutes went by. And then his daughter walked in. She gave him a big hug. She congratulated him for his speech. She sat next to him perfectly at ease. And I immediately noticed the contrast between my unease my unprepared spirit to talk to this individual and his daughter's total unconcern about being in the presence of her father. There's a story that has been told of the Queen of England attending a banquet and uh, she brought her daughter along. And um, after a few hours within this banquet, the daughter was beginning to get tired and, and, uh, and wasn't focusing well and started to slump in her seat. And her mother, the queen, uh, would turn to her and say, um, straighten up. And she would, and after a little while, they just the shoulders began to slump and so forth. Straighten up. It happened again 
And the queen turned to her daughter and said, you know who you are. Behave that way. When we view the Exodus story, we are often forget that the one who delivered his people from bondage is the God of love and compassion who chooses to dwell with his people. But how can we combine the picture on the one hand of the mega-god who confronts Pharaoh and cataclysmically takes down his kingdom with, on the other hand, a God who comes close and whispers in the ears of his followers and accompanies them step by step from slavery to the promised land. We as Christians tend to look at the Exodus story through the eyes of those who have seen God's love revealed in his unique son, Jesus Christ. Emmanuel, God with us. Jesus is intimate and vulnerable, but at the same time, he's He's one who calms the tempest, has power over nature, heals the sick. His love becomes obvious to us, but it wasn't maybe so obvious to the children of Israel. In Zephaniah chapter 3, verse 17, we have a picture of the Lord our God is with you. He is mighty to save. He will take great delight in you. He will quiet you with his love. He will rejoice over you with singing. Which reminds me of a beloved song. Can cheer the heart like Jesus by his presence all divine, true and tender, pure and precious. Oh, how blessed to call him mine. All that thrills the soul is Jesus. He is more than life to me. And the fairest of ten thousand in my blessed Lord I see. Love of Christ so freely given, grace of God beyond degree, mercy higher than the heaven, deeper than the deepest sea. 
that thrills my soul is Jesus. He is more than life to me. And the fairest of 10,000 in my blessed Lord I see. You see, the same Father who sent Emmanuel Jesus, God with us, to take human form and provide us salvation, is the one who personally accompanied his people from bondage to the promised land. In his jealousy for the well-being of his people to take them out of bondage, to free them so that they could be part of his household is the one who wanted to have a place built so that he could dwell in the middle of his people. What an exciting thought to have someone so powerful, so globally involved in creation, in redemption, sending a flood to destroy a world that could not be called back to him, a God who called his people to Egypt through the ministry of Joseph, his faithful servant. He's the God who called Moses from his work as a shepherd of sheep to deliver Israel from bondage. And he identified himself as the I am. Not the I was, not the I will be, but the ever-present I am the Yahweh. I am with you. It is the God who called his people out of Egypt with miraculous, overwhelming defeat of Pharaoh through catastrophic plagues and by the blood of the Passover lamb. Catch, catch the contrast. The bombastic plagues that, that, made not, not, that didn't just make people uncomfortable, but took their lives while at the same time, the call to gather in your family, to slay this lamb, to place the blood on the doorposts in the intimacy of this home, now this loving God would know that the angel of death should not enter that premise because he as the Lamb is with them. This is the same God who decided 
to lead his people in the form of a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night, never leaving them to fend for themselves. This is the God who miraculously opened the Red Sea for his people and closed it on, on their enemies. And he was traveling with them to the promised land. This is the God who responded to his people's complaints and hardships, the blaming of Moses, the, the, the outright, send us back, you didn't bring us here to kill us. But the one who said, I tell you, I just can't stand your behavior, but I'm your God and you are my people. And I love you, and I'm not going to let you go. He's the God who wanted to commune with his people at Mount Sinai, who had set up, set the stage for him to whisper to them, but they drew away, and he had to proclaim his commandments as thou shalt not instead of thou shalt. Because when my children were small and they were close, I could just come down to their level, look them in the eye, get their attention, and whisper what I wanted them to do. But if they were far away running out the door, don't go out! Because that's what you do. When they're distant, you have to use a negative of some sort to stop the behavior. This is the God who was always eager to have his people acknowledge that they are his. And he is theirs. He is the God who never intended for his people to do his bidding without his help, the help of the Almighty God. You know, it's interesting. Um, just, just listen to, to the words of God as he speaks to his people and seeks to convince them of, of that, that they are not aliens in his kingdom. It's found in Exodus chapter 6, verse 7. I will take you as my own people, God says, and I will be your God. Then you will know that I am the Lord your God and who brought you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. I will bring you to the land I swore with uplifted hand to give to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. I will give it to you as a possession, I am the Lord. So God's people arrive at Mount Sinai and God gives instructions on how to come closer through various processes to protect them and to guide them step by step, but they drew away. And so from a distance, 
He provides them with his principles of how redeemed people in the family of God ought to behave. I've said it often that the whisper of a friend shouts louder than the shout of a stranger. And maybe if we approach the law of God as the whisper of a friend rather than the shout of a, of a stranger, we would, we would do better. So, so often we look at the Ten Commandments as a set of arbitrary rules to follow or else. Like them, like the children of Israel, we figure that these commandments are a list of things to accomplish in order to belong. But instead, God intended that these were a list of things that we do because we belong. If you read through the book of Exodus up to chapter 20, God repeats his demand for the premium of his people by repeatedly, over and over again, saying, let my people go. They're mine. I'm theirs. They are mine. I am theirs. He does this 15 times, identifying himself with them. So maybe we should look at these 10 precepts as 10 characteristics of belonging in the household of God. So turn to Exodus. You, we read it in the scripture reading. Pastor Candace shared these with us in the scripture reading. But I want you to follow with me because I'm going to reinterpret the 10 commandments as characteristics of belonging in the household of God. You with me? So here's the first commandment. Because I love you, I brought you out of slavery. Why would you want another God? The second commandment. Since I'm with you and have been with you, why do you need to venerate or worship anything or anyone else? I jealously, lovingly protect you from sin's intrusions in your lives as long as you acknowledge that I am yours and you are mine. Let's look at the third commandment. My name is sacred. Why would you want to misuse it? The fourth commandment, very familiar to us all. But maybe I'll twist it a little bit and give you a little context. Remember the Sabbath that I taught you about when I gave you a double portion of manna on Friday and when you went out on Saturday, you didn't get anything? Keep 
that Sabbath as a memorial of the fact that I created you. If we read the second reading of the law in Deuteronomy 5, verse 12, it says, keep it because I redeemed you. I created you. I redeemed you. And you should share that blessing with all your household and all your guests. I have blessed that day and set it as a special family time for us. Fifth commandment. Honor your parents. You will live long in the land I settle you in. And should I should add, when they start taking care of you, you will last longer. Commandment number six. Murder is not part of our household behavior. Commandment number seven. A covenant of belonging in marriage is too sacred to throw away. Commandment number eight. Why, why steal when you have me as your provider? Commandment number nine. Lying to or about your neighbor hurts them, and it hurts you. It's not what we do in our family. Commandment number 10. Haven't I cared for you on our journey to the promised land? Why would you want what I've given to your neighbor? In my household, everyone is cared for. See, this is, this is part of an everlasting covenant that God wants to have with his people. A covenant that he wanted then and a covenant that he wants now. He wants to draw us to himself. He wants to be our God. And he wants us to know that we are his people. This covenant does not depend on our power. It does not depend on our strength. The children of Israel actually stood at the foot of the mountain, and when they heard the laws of God, they stood at attention and they said, all that the Lord has said, we will do. And that was not what God wanted in the covenant with his people. In Jeremiah 31, 31, it says, the time is coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. It will not be like the covenant I made with their forefathers when I took them by the hand to lead them out of Egypt because they broke my covenant, though I was a husband to them, declares the Lord. This is the covenant I will make with the house of Israel after that time, declares the Lord. I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. You see, God never intended for family behaviors to substitute for a relationship with him. He says the law does not save you my commandments do not save you. I am the one who saves you. If you confess our sins, if we confess our sins, 
He is faithful and just to do what? To forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. The, the law simply sheds light and reflects on our sin and draws us to the one who has the power to overcome. Like a mirror that shows the dirt on our faces and highlights and heightens the need for soap and water to draw us, to drive us to the one who will cleanse us from sin. There's a popular song which I will not sing. I will read it. It's a song called Who Am I? by Casting Crowns. Who am I that the Lord of all the earth would care to know my name, would care to feel my hurt? Who am I that the bright and morning star who chose to light the way for my ever-wandering heart? Not because of who I am, but because of what you've done. Not because of what I've done, but because of who you are. I am a flower quickly fading here today and gone tomorrow, a wave tossed in the ocean, a vapor in the wind. Still, still you hear me when I'm calling. Lord, you catch me when I'm falling, and you told me who I am. I am yours. Who am I that the eyes that see my sin would look on me with love and watch me rise again? Who am I that the voice that calmed the sea would call up through the rain and calm the storm in me. Not because of who I am, but because of what you've done. Not because of what I've done, but because of who you are. I am yours. <laughs> 